So this morning is the third Sunday of the Easter season. Now, as you're probably aware, the Easter season runs all the way until the last Sunday of May, which is Pentecost Sunday. And during the Easter season, the readings and the the message generally tends to talk about the appearances of the risen Christ to various people between the time of the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. It is well documented in Scripture these instances where Jesus chose to reveal his risen self to various people for the honor and glory of God. And one such occasion is the the focus of the message today. You're familiar with the story. I, I hope that you will listen to the nuances and walk away from this morning's service with a new appreciation for the times that we go through our human experience, this thing uh, that we're living, with a newfound understanding that regardless of your circumstances, Christ is walking with you. And if we pay attention and we seek the face of Christ, he will be revealed to us as we walk. Such is the case for the two disciples who encountered Jesus after his resurrection on their journey on the road to the village of Emmaus. Now this has been the subject of theological and scholarly debate for centuries. It's a relatively short passage in the Gospel of Luke. And theologians and pastors and teachers have been exploring it for significance apart from all the other examples of Jesus' appearing to witnesses after exiting the tomb. What is it about this encounter with the living Christ that makes it so relevant to you and me today? And so my purpose here this morning is to help bring that relevance as we look at this passage of Scripture, because all of us at one point or another find ourselves on our own personal road to Emmaus. And so you might be thinking as we go through this message today, what is my personal road to Emmaus? See, for the two disciples, one of them is named Cleopas. We know that from the scripture. The other one is, we'll just call him the unnamed one. But their world had been turned upside down at the crucifixion 
of their teacher, their master, their rabbi, uh, their savior. And so their road to Emmaus was doubt, it was fear, it was grief, it was unrealized expectations. And as I think about that, I think, how many times have I traveled that road? How many times have you traveled your own personal road to Emmaus? That road that, that's filled with obstacles like doubt and fear and grief and unmet expectations. Listen to the way Luke writes about this particular journey of these two disciples. It says, And behold, on that very day, two of them, who were going to a village named Emmaus, which was 60 stadia from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing Jesus. Now, I think that last part is is significant here. The two disciples are kept from recognizing Jesus. Their, Their grief, their doubt, their fear have no doubt clouded their minds. Their unrealized expectations about what they thought a Messiah should be have dulled their perception, dulled their hearts to the point that their eyes can't see the Christ that's standing right in front of them. In their current state, he is unrecognizable to them. And and the truth is beyond their ability to comprehend. They're on a rough road indeed. And I think about how many times my circumstances have prevented me from seeing the Christ standing right in front of me. Maybe you're on a road like the one these two disciples are on. Maybe your current situation and circumstances have you so overwhelmed with things like doubt and fear and anxiety and grief that you are dragging your feet, stumbling down the road to Emmaus, not because Emmaus is a significant destination, but because anywhere is better than you are right now. You might be dejected, you might be disappointed, you might be defeated, you might be wandering aimlessly and commiserating with friends about what's going on in your life, your situation, and most of us soon realize that commiserating does little or nothing to change those circumstances. And so Jesus engages the pair of disciples and he asks them to tell him of their experiences. Have you talked talk to Jesus about your circumstances and experiences? It's one thing to tell a friend. It's another thing to tell Jesus. Jesus wants these disciples to share their understanding of what it is they have just been through. Isn't that interesting? The one who died on the cross spent time in the grave, descended into hell, was resurrected three days later, that Jesus wants to know about your experience. Isn't that something? 
And so he says to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they came to a stop looking sad. And one of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, are you possibly the only one living near Jerusalem who does not know about the things that happened here in these days? That's interesting. Jesus, you have no idea what I'm going through. No idea. And he said to them, what sort of things? And they said to him, those about Jesus, the Nazarene, who proved to be a prophet, mighty indeed, and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. But also, some women among us left us bewildered when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And so some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. And then he said to them, you foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to come into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, Jesus explained to them the things written about himself in all the scriptures. Now we need to pause here for a moment because... As I often say, words mean things. The exact phrasing in the text is significant. It does not say that Jesus explained to them all the places in the scriptures where he is talked about. No, it says beginning with Moses and all the prophets. In other words, from Genesis through the entire Old Testament of scripture. That was what was written down at the time. He explained to them what was said throughout all the scriptures concerning himself. Do you see the difference? In other words, Jesus is not just mentioned in several places in the Bible, but rather he is the thread interwoven into the great tapestry of the entire Bible. And now that the New Testament is written down and we are able to read it, we can see from Genesis to Revelation and everything in between, all of it, every, as they say, jot and tittle of the Bible is about Jesus Christ. All of it. Jesus' response to their recounting of the recent events in Jerusalem is first to admonish them concerning their foolishness for not having grasped all that he'd been teaching them all along. But following that criticism, Jesus walks them through the scriptures. From the first book of Moses through the prophets, showing them all that they that had been foretold about himself in all the scriptures. Why is the admonishment 
important to us. To understand the significance in our circumstances, we have to accept that we too, you and I, have missed all of the truth Jesus came to share with us. We too have failed to recognize the Christ walking next to us on our own Emmaus road. The scriptures that Jesus shared with the disciples are the same scriptures that he shares with you and me now. From his presence and participation in the creation of the world to the messianic prophecy in Isaiah and throughout the Old Testament, Jesus shows us that the plan for our redemption has been in place and was carried out to the letter The revelation is that God was, is, and will forever be sovereign and in control. His plan for our lives is already perfect and complete. The question is, have you bought into it yet? Do you believe it yet? And so the story continues. As they approached the village where they were going, Jesus gave them the impression that he was going to go further. And so they strongly urged him, saying, stay with us, for it's getting toward evening and the day is now nearly over. So Jesus went in to stay with them and it came about when he had reclined at the table with them and he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And when they recognized him, he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, were our hearts not burning within us when he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and those who were with them saying, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them at the breaking of the bread. See, the disciples here in this case only recognize Jesus when he performs the last act that he did for them in the upper room on that night before he died, the breaking of the bread. The night that Jesus said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You know the words. Even though Jesus had walked them through the scriptures and even though their hearts burned at the hearing of the truth, they only knew Jesus when they came to the communion table. The holy significance of that act of breaking the bread and participating in the acknowledgement of Jesus Christ by partaking of that communion bread, that significance is immeasurable and it's supernatural. It's important because it is a means of grace, which is why we do it as often as possible. See, when I read this passage and and, and I hear about the significance of of Holy Communion, I, I remember how very important 
Communion is to me personally, and I hope it is to you as well. As this means of grace, when, when I was going through the, the candidacy process for ministry, the question was asked of me by one of the many boards I sat in front of, what do you believe is your call to ministry? That's a tough question. But I remember my response because after that they made me write it down so I wouldn't forget It's the same response I would give today. I said, I believe I'm called to pastoral ministry and to delivering the holy sacraments of communion and baptism to the people. Because I believe that there is power, Holy Spirit power, in the bread and the wine of the Lord's Supper. And in the water of holy baptism, as instruments of grace from God leading people to Christ and administering the sacraments as a means of His grace have become my life's work for the advancement of the kingdom of God. And oh, by the way, you don't have to have a collar for that to be your calling as well. Granted, there is ordained and licensed authority to bless the elements. But participating in the spreading of the gospel message that brings people to the communion table and brings people to the baptismal font, that's not my job. That's the church's job. That's your job. You're the seed spreaders. The Holy Spirit is the one who gleans the harvest. People don't come to communion or don't come to the baptismal font unless somebody plants the seed, that that's something that's necessary in their life. Who plants the seed? The church plants the seed. So as we are going to come once again to the communion table in just a little while, when we do, I I pray that you will allow the Holy Spirit to give you new eyes to see. New ears to hear the living word, the risen Christ in the act of communion. Because Christ is indeed present at his table. We are given the privilege of sharing in that sacred fellowship. Jesus is revealed to us every time we break the bread. Every time. Finally, in our circumstances, on our road to Emmaus, we have to remember two things of great importance. If you're taking notes, Jot these down. One, God is in control. Within His will, we are secure. Two, all of the Bible study and intellectual exercises in the world will only take us so far. 
We will only know Jesus. We will only truly know Jesus when we are in communion, in relationship with him. It's not just reading his word. It's not just head knowledge. It's applying his word in your life. That takes relationship with him. It's all about acknowledging Him as Savior, communicating with Him through prayer, and being engaged in the relationship with Him through the fellowship of Holy Communion. And by the way, Holy Communion is relationship vertically with Jesus and horizontally with each other as believers. That's communion. It very much is representative of the cross. Vertically with Jesus in communion, horizontally with each other in communion. You see how that works? All of that together is the means of grace that God pours out on believers through holy communion. It's more than just an exercise of the intellect more than just an exercise of the mind, it's a passion of the heart, the soul, and the spirit. Clear? All of that in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.